0: As a society and as individuals, we tend to focus on outcomes. As a parent, we might ask, what mark did our child get in their test? What grades did they get in their exam? And we see these as benchmarks for success. But for two or three years, students are focused on one point on the horizon, their GCSE exams. Is it healthy for us to be so fixated on one thing? Or should we instead be using this time to look at the process of learning help our children to reach their full potential. Hello and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, the founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this series, I talk to a range of experts, parents and students about how we can get the most out of studying at home. From nutrition to sleep and from stress to mental health, we'll be exploring how best to support our young people. There's a new episode out every Friday morning, so please subscribe, review, and don't be afraid to share with others who you think might benefit from what our experts are saying. Today, I'm joined by former teacher, author, and presenter, Will Hussey. Will specialises in cultivating growth mindset and encouraging students to think differently. In short, he specialises in what makes people tick. Thanks very much for joining me today.
1: It's great to be here. Thank you.
0: Before we start, I just want to talk about your school days, um, something that we've done with um, our other experts as well. So what were you like at school? What was your favourite subject?
1: Uh, my favourite subjects at school were probably not the subjects, Nathan, if I'm being honest. They were more the extracurricular things. I've got fantastic memories of playing in the football B team and um missing out in the cup final and taking part in school performances and uh, plays, that sort of stuff.
0: So the whole the whole sort of school life rather than um, the exams and the learning itself.
1: It's the stuff that allowed me to get excited about, I think. I think um, my memories of secondary school in particular was it was quite up and down because it's, uh, it's an interesting introduction to that in-between stage between adults and, and childhood um, and all the issues that come along with that. But the the curriculum was what it was, the maths, the English, et cetera, et cetera. But it was the uh, the opportunity to to shine and get excited about life that I really enjoyed, which I guess passion is the word that I'm going to think about, where you can really come into your own and explore the stuff that isn't scripted that somebody's telling you to do, Um yeah, parading on a stage. So is that it's not quite
0: regret, I guess, but um, resent almost the, the the learning side of things as a way of getting in the getting in the way of what was fun.
1: Resent is is a difficult word to use because it is what it what it is or it was what it was. But I kind of think. Look, I, I read some research not too long ago, uh, and it was basically showing how the world has changed. If I can just bring up three figures. And the first was this thing where, where it's estimated, and it might be a little bit out of date, this research. You've probably heard it, that you know up to 65% of the jobs that you know seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds are going to do, well, they don't even exist yet, OK? Which is kind of mind-blowing, really, when you think of the sorts of things that we're teaching in school. Are we really preparing them for that sort of future? And there's another number that springs to mind, which is the number 17, so it's estimated that these very same seven, eight-year-olds, are going to go on to do probably 17 different jobs throughout the course of their lives. Now, that number might not sound significant, but if you compare that to my father, my dad's generation, and he went to university and he had a job for life and he worked at Aston University for, well, over 50 years, and he was really, really happy with that. And I kind of think times have changed now. So actually, no longer can education, can school be just about getting a job. It's got to be about so much more. It's got to be about preparing you to, I guess, to flourish, to be the best version of you, whether it's inside of the classroom, outside of the classroom, whatever it might be, for a world that we're not actually sure just because of the rate of change, what it's going to look like. And, And key to that, key to that has got to be Tapping into pupils' interests, passions, and helping them to discover just what it is that floats their boat, what they're good at, what they want to, what they want to pursue, so they can flourish, whatever the climate. And I'm not saying that that school didn't do that for me, but I'm saying it was different times, and it was closer to school was about a job for life, and it's not about that anymore.
0: I think it's it's fair to say that within it's within our lifetimes or our careers that we'll have seen that that transition from I've been here man and boy to actually rounds of redundancies and job security being a thing of the past now I don't I'm not sure that I'll quite make 17 different jobs but certainly the job that I went into from university existed beforehand so it was fairly straightforward I guess that someone could have planned that route how how do we prepare our children then if if we don't know what it is it's going to end up in, if we can't, if we can't line them up for um, shopkeeper or um, banking or law or whatever else it might be that they want to do, these 65% of jobs that don't exist.
1: I think you need to shift from what I, I hesitate to suggest the current education system focuses upon, which is an outcome to a process. Now, the outcome is exam results, typically a measurement of somewhere that you get to. But actually the process, which is what I think is far more important, is actually learning. And too often in schools, and I'm not knocking teachers here because teachers do an amazing job. And actually, I think sometimes I think they're, they're victims of the whole process here. Because if you're a teacher, you come into the classroom and you have a huge amount of pressure that is upon you to get a certain cohort of pupils to a certain place but that means you're starting with the end in mind. That means that you're preoccupied with a measurement that you need to get these pupils to. And how that trickles down in practice is that translates to um, imparting of knowledge, I will tell you this, in the hope that you can remember it and regurgitate it. Now that's not learning to me, that's a temporary, a temporary absorption of information that you can then regenerate, you can dump, and then you forget about it. Now, learning, to me, is a process of growth. Now, if we can encourage children to have that capacity to want to grow and to develop and to be interested and to recognise that they can absorb, develop, acquire their own interests and pursue their passions, that's learning, and that means they can be interested in learning even if they don't know where that learning might go to. So I guess it's a process of what you might call divergent thinking, where you're encouraged to consider all sorts of different options rather than being told to focus on this one particular end result.
0: But isn't it going to be really tricky to break out of that cycle of focusing on outcomes to start focusing on the process? Because the world of work... And the world of acceptance into further education or higher education is determined by you've proven that you're good enough too. And that's why that's why the GCSE exams and the A-level exams exist, surely, to be able to prove that, that a student has the capacity or the capability to go on to do more.
1: Obviously, I acknowledge there has to be some sort of measure of children's abilities. However you decide to describe them, whether that's A-levels, whether that's GCSEs, whatever it might be. And I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't have a curriculum that you're working to. What I'm suggesting is perhaps that the curriculum and therefore the measurement at the end of it should perhaps be more tailored to the interests and the passions of the particular pupil. Because what you find that if if, if pupils are interested, if they're engaged, they're going to fly. And if you go through seven years, 10 years, however long it might be, of being subjected to trying to do stuff just because you're being told to do it, you start resisting against it. And then that doesn't, that's not about potential. That, that comes down to just surviving. And what we should be doing as educators and facilitators is trying to encourage pupils to thrive. Now again i 'm not blaming educators i 'm not blaming teachers here because they're doing an amazing uh, job under what can be quite challenging circumstances and actually, I think humans humans are hotwired actually to be survivors rather than thrivers okay we've evolved to kind of get through the end of the day rather than taking a bigger picture and considering what we need to do to bring out the very best for us. I'm going to describe to you something that I call field of long grass thinking, Nathan. I want you to imagine that you stood in front of a field of long grass. Okay, You've got to get to the other side of that field of long grass. You stand there, you look at it, you don't think about it for too long and you just plunge in there and you get to the other side. Now the next day, when you come up against that very same field of long grass and you stand before it, which pathway are you going to take? Now, the vast majority of us, and I can see you nodding, are going to take that very same pathway. And we take it because it's a little bit matted down and it's a little bit easier. And guess what? We do that for the day after and the week after and the month after and the year after. But this isn't just about fields of long grass. We do this in many aspects of our lives. If you think about pre-lockdown, your usual commute to work, Okay. you'll probably in the morning, your alarm will go off at pretty much the same time that it always goes off. okay You'll probably go downstairs. The vast majority of us will sit in exactly the same place in the kitchen, pretty much having exactly the same breakfast cereal, okay We'll go to the bathroom. you' probably have the same order in the bathroom unless you've got teenage kids which can scupper it a little bit. But it's an illustration that we typically do the things that we do just to get by. And actually what we need to be doing now is thinking more than just getting by and just doing the same as we've always done, but creating different practices that can help us engage more, think about things differently and feel better about what we're doing, feel more excited about this world that we're, we're, we're growing into.
0: Because presumably I'm taking the, the path well trodden through the long grass is fine and easy for as long as it's possible to take it. But what we're seeing, and certainly lockdown has illustrated this, is that I guess sometimes that that path's going to be blocked and we'll need to find other ways around it. So are you suggesting that we get out of the habit of, of finding our ways through that that almost innovative approach to, well, if I'm at this end of the field and I want to get to that end, I'll just plough through because we become, I don't know, is that—is that lazy?
1: Well, I was about to say to you that taking that same path that you've always done, is fine. It's okay. But actually, is okay what you're heading for? Are you hoping for an okay life, an okay career, an okay future? But actually, I'm going to backtrack a little bit and say, well, actually, okay, only gets you so far. Because if you continue just doing the things that you've always done, and actually you've decided that uh, you're not going to bother with a mobile phone, you're not going to bother with email, you're not going to bother with the internet, actually, you're going to be struggling right now. So if you don't change, the change catches up with you and then you end up kind of being dragged kicking and screaming into the now or to the future. And actually, it's much better to be an architect of that change, to be part of it, to be an active participant in it rather than a, a, a passive recipient. And I think many of the issues and many of the problems we have as individuals and larger organisations is where change has not been embraced soon enough and people are put into a situation where they're firefighting. They're struggling to catch up. And actually, that needs to be avoided. If you're struggling to catch up, then you can only deal with the here and now. That's when it feels stressful. That's when arguments appear. And actually, if you can think... I'm not sure whether you would call it future thinking if you can think further ahead if you can embrace change if you can be proactive about it that's what gets the best out of you rather than leaving you struggling and and floundering slightly
0: it's fairly clichéd i guess but but change is really the only constant isn't it i mean it's we we can absolutely expect those kinds of things to change and i guess what I, what i love about what you're saying is that actually if you for, it seems that if you forget that the, the nature of the change and you prepare yourself for that inevitability then actually everything becomes that much more adaptable.
1: So I think learning and change are synonymous. If you're going to change you've got to learn to do things differently. If you're going to learn you've got to change your existing practices. Okay and I'll give you an example. I'll give you a couple of examples with regards to how change or not changing or being dragged kicking and screaming because change is overtaken, how that affects us as a, as it could be as a school, as an organisation and as an individual. So in terms of if you work in a place where you're constantly firefighting, change has got ahead of you. Usually a bit of panic sets in, right? We need to do something because this isn't working. So all of a sudden there's a new initiative that's lauded. Okay. Everyone takes a bit of a sigh of relief, enthusiasm. This is going to solve everything. Wow, fantastic. Of course, after a week, that enthusiasm turns to disillusionment. Actually, maybe this isn't working. Then a little further down the line, that disillusionment turns to panic because actually this problem needs to be solved. And maybe someone's thrown a lot of time and money at this problem and it causes a few issues. So people start panicking. The panic is there. And of course, once this new initiative has been introduced and nothing's working, then it turns into a, a, a search for the guilty party. Because obviously, if it's if something's not working, it's got to be somebody's fault. Not just the fact that the organisation has not just moved on, but it's someone's fault. And then, of course, to to find some sort of closure, then somebody, <laughs> some poor soul, is probably quite innocent ends up being punished or, or being warned for some reason. But of course, to make sure that the organisation seems fair, then someone who's not involved at all probably gets rewarded for not being involved. Now, that might sound a little bit cynical, but it's an indication of what not keeping up change does to you. And it happens to the same, it happens to us as individuals as well. And I'm going to use my wife as an example, which she probably won't thank me for, but I'll give you an example. A few years ago... Um, I wrote a book and we went to an award ceremony. Lovely do. My wife decided she wanted to buy a a nice new dress for this. So here we go. Stage one. uh, She needs to fit into this dress. Okay. She's going to have to go on a diet. Fortunately, enthusiasm sets in. She's found a great new diet. Okay. That's going to solve it all. Next stage. Disillusionment. After a week of dieting, then actually she's not lost any weight. So then panic starts to set in. What am I going to do? I've already bought this dress. I don't fit into it. Then it's search for the guilty party. So then it was a case of the rest of the family. And she was probably justified in this. I spend all my time looking after you guys. It must be your fault. Punishment of the innocent. So we weren't allowed any biscuits in the house at all. We all had to suffer. And then ultimately, rewards for those uninvolved, Mr John Lewis, because there was another dress that was purchased. And we all fall into this. It brings out the worst of us. Whereas a process of change, if you can get ahead, if you can focus on the process of change, that can look quite different. Now, I talked earlier on, Nathan, and stop me if I'm going on, about how as educators we can be focused on the exams as an outcome. And of course, you've got to have those in mind. I recognize that. But I'm saying starting solely and predominantly with the end in mind is not the best way to get you there. And what you really need to do is start with the beginning in mind. Okay. typically as educators, we start with something that's called a waggle. It stands for what a good one looks like. Many teachers and educators will start their lesson, start a unit of work, whether it's writing or whatever, with a fantastic example of this story or poem or whatever it might be, okay. But for many children, that ideal is just so far removed from where they are and what they perceive uh, perceive their ability to be that ultimately, or, or straight away, they'll switch off, and you've lost. You've probably lost a third of your pupil straight away. Now I would suggest to you, it's far better to start with what I'm going to now term in a world's first, as a wogoddle, which stands for what a good one doesn't look like. Okay, so you start with a pretty ordinary stroke, useless example. And I'll come on to this. And then you need to start teaching not so much what you need to do, but how you need to be in order to progress to where your target needs to be. So what we need to be doing And I'm no um, uh, expert in neuroplasticity or anything like this, but we need to be giving children some sort of comprehension or understanding of the processes involved in learning. And once they know that actually they can learn, they can affect their learning. Now, that's a green light then, because they know that actually there's a route towards achieving your potential. And if you don't show them the route, how on earth do you get to that potential? This is where my, I guess, my roadmap to achieving your potential comes in. I guess it consists of 10 parts in total, okay? So brace yourselves for these 10 parts. Now the first five pertain to actually how you learn. Okay. Now the first stage, I want you to imagine. If my grandma was here, okay, my 96-year-old grandma, and I asked her, if I said to her, grandma, can you floss for me? Okay, she'd look at me quite blankly. OK, she probably think it has something to do with dental hygiene. OK, what she won't be aware of, you know, that dodgy dance that the kids do flossing where they kind of wiggle the hips and the arms go in another way. So to start off with, she's the first stage of learning. OK, and these are five stages that every single one of us goes through anytime we learn anything. We might go through it quickly, but you always go through these stages. So you start off by being unconsciously incompetent. You don't know what it is that you're being asked to do. Okay. So the second stage, if I say to you, grandma, or if I say, Nathan, look, I'm going to show you, this is what I mean by flossing. You would then be consciously incompetent. Okay. So you'd know what it is that you're being expected to do, but I'm guessing you probably wouldn't be able to do it. So the third stage of learning is, if you spend the right amount of time trying to get your head around it, you might start to have some degree of success. Let's take the jug- the juggling analogy. So you might do one, two, drop it, okay? But you're now given over a lot of your brain power, a lot of thoughts, a lot of mental energy to being able to do it. You start to have some degree of success, okay? You're consciously competent, okay? You're kind of at that can-do stage. Now, to give you a controversial thought, this is the stage in schools where educators get really, really excited about, okay? Because they can suddenly evidence that children can do stuff. They can assess it as being learnt. Unfortunately, that's where it stops because they've got the evidence, you move on to something else for all sorts of understandable reasons. Unfortunately, this is also the stage where your pupils will completely forget it after a couple of weeks holiday, okay? You've not yet learned to do it uh, to such an extent where it's automatic, because what you really need to get to is the fourth stage of learning, which is what you call unconscious competence, okay? So you can uh, do it pretty easily without thinking about it, okay? So kind of think about... um, Think about riding a bike, okay? In fact, you don't have to think about it too carefully because you can do it without thinking. And when you learn something really well, you get to a certain stage where you don't have to think about it at all, okay? It's unconscious competence. It comes automatically. It's there, it's stored in your brain and it's no effort at all. And ultimately, we want children, to uh, pupils, learners, whoever, to move beyond that stage to stage five, that mastery stage, Where it's not that you can just do it without thinking about it, but actually you can use it as a tool to really flourish and thrive and so on. So there's the five stages. Okay, you go through those five stages. Those are the five stages that you have to go through. Anything you've ever learned to do, you have gone through those stages. Right, now a deep breath. So this brings me on to something that I've entitled the five Rs, because knowing. how your brain works, knowing that those stages exist, knowing what they look like, knowing what they feel like, is a huge help. But actually to be able to progress through those stage, those different stages, you have to develop certain character attributes. So I want to go back to that first stage of learning, that kind of no idea, unconscious, incompetence stage. So to begin with, if you're asking anyone to learn something that they've got no idea, what it is that they're gonna have to do, you need them to be receptive. They've gotta be open. That's the first R, you need people to be receptive. Now that might sound a, a simple, easy thing to say, but if you've got pupils coming into the classroom or if you've got children who aren't receptive because they've not had breakfast or they've just been to bed too late, they are not going to be receptive to whatever they're being asked to do. The second R, okay? So you now know what I'm asking you to do. I've shown you what a good one does or doesn't look like. I want you to do this, whatever it might look like. Now, that's going to involve taking a risk. And learning is about risk taking. And actually in the classroom, taking a risk is a big deal. You need pupils who who feel like they're in a place where they can take a risk. They know what it feels like. They know what it entails. And they, they know that it's safe to do so. That's the second R. My third R, so if you get to a stage of conscious competence where you're just about getting it, you're working hard, you're kind of having some success, you need some grit and determination because you need to be able to retain the information and the feelings and the things that are working for you. Now, only you can retain that information. Only you can process it. You can't copy it because you've got to actually get your head around and feel in a certain way what that feels like. And that takes stickability. Okay. And it's too easy at that point because your brain aches. There's a feeling called cognitive dissonance that kicks in with this learning business. It's not something you can do passively. You've got to get your head around it. When your brain is aching, you've got to stick with it. That is learning. That is the feeling of learning. You've got to stick with it. Once you start getting good at this sort of stuff, okay, once you start getting to that. I can ride a bike stage, that kind of unconscious competence stage, so you don't have to think about it, that's when you need to start refining your actions and actually taking ownership of what you've just learned. Because up to then, it's just been a tool. It's just been a tool for you to kind of get the grasp of the basics. Okay, But from then on, you need to utilize it in a way that's most useful to you. To use a little bit of an analogy, for instance, if you're learning maths, your your teacher's will probably teach you three different ways. They might give you methods where you can just calculate mentally in your head. They might give you some kind of shorthand jottings way where you can kind of half do it in your head and write a few numbers down, or they might give you a formal method. And the fourth are, when you get to refining, then it's over to you. Which method am I going to be comfortable at using in particular time? Okay, so you're kind of owning it. You're really you've you've got to grips with the benefit of using this tool and you're applying it um, to your own ends. And the fifth R is when you get to this kind of top level, this this level of mastery, for want of a better word. Actually, what what you should be encouraged to do is then actually redefine what you're capable of. Or maybe redefine where the bar is of whatever skill it is. Can it be done a better way? Can it be done in a different way? Those are the entrepreneurs. Those are the innovators. But you know what? If you're going to do that, that involves learning again. And that involves going all the way back to the first R and being receptive to new ways of tweaking, of thinking in order to get these things done. So learning is a cyclical process, it never stops. And I'm not going to say to you, Nathan, that I'm I'm not going to say to a whole generation of teenagers or their parents out there that you can be anybody you want to be. But that's the route map to enable you to be the very best, actually, that you can be. And I think that's called potential.
0: What I love about the five R's, I think, is how you can see it apply to the process of learning as well as that that subject content that you talk to. So when I think back to when Jake was doing his GCSEs, and you'd have this bit where we were just going around in circles constantly over studying at home. Are you doing enough? Are you not doing enough? And actually, you can look back and see that actually he, he was unconsciously incompetent as to that process of sitting down and doing it he just didn't he didn't see or recognize that actually this was this wasn't working for him he wasn't learning anything and again i don't i don't mean that he wasn't learning about population migration he wasn't learning that his approach to studying wasn't working and i wonder given that we're in lockdown um how many how many of us find ourselves in exactly that same situation of Doggedly following a process that exists through schooling simply because we've been told it's what we need to do rather than adapting, looking back and reflecting on that process and then tweaking and changing. Do you think it's something that people should be actively encouraged to do right now?
1: Learning is this ability to change and to change, you've got to deal with this feeling of cognitive uh, dissonance because that's when you're actually creating and reinforcing the connections in your brain that you need to. Education, learning, growth, it's all about your capacity to think creatively. Okay, and and do we encourage this with our kids? I don't know. I I drove to the theatre not too long ago, to Leicester Theatre, and I've driven there before. OK, it's not the first time I've been, but for the last time that I went, for some reason, I didn't have my, my phone with me. So I didn't have my sat-nav with me. And it was such a, an arduous journey. It seemed to take forever loads of wrong turnings. And actually, that got me thinking that actually how often as teachers, how often as parents do we behave as the sat nav in the lives of our children and that actually what we do is we show them where the destination is quite often we'll show them where the starting point is we'll tell them where to go at every different twist and turn and actually when they finally get to the destination they're probably not actually equipped with how to get there themselves independently should they need to go by themselves
0: what i love about the sat nav the, the satnav analogy is actually—it's so relatable, and I can see myself having driven for years to and from places without Google or satnav, and having to refer to A to Zs and maps. You do learn how to get there yourself by making your mistakes, by taking the various wrong turns, three-point turn, and back on you go. But actually, now with with the satnavs in the car. there are very few new places that i've gone to that i'd be able to get to a second time without that kind of assistance and so as you say you can easily see how as a parent we might be doing that to our to our children by making everything so much easier i guess we're back to the um, the path through the long grass if we're doing that for them actually they don't need to think so when in future they are confronted with a situation that they need to tackle themselves um for one reason or another. Actually, they're really equipped, and that was that was our doing.
1: I'll give you another analogy if you want, which is quite similar. So, someone stood there with a, a putter and a, a little golf ball, and there's a there's a cup that's placed about fifteen feet away. Okay, the task is simple: you've got to aim to put the ball into the cup. If we're short on time, for all sorts of reasons, because we want the best for the pupils in our care. Typically what happens is you might, you might drag your son, your daughter, your pupil off the Xbox when they're enjoying doing something else. You might say, look, I want you to do this. I want you to put the ball into that cup over there. And they'll look at it and they're going to go, don't fancy that really. Not really excited by that. So what we so often do, rather unwittingly, is we move that cup a couple of steps closer. And we make it closer again. And we do it until the children or pupils, whoever, finally think, well, I can do that with not a lot of effort. So they do it. And actually, you're you're satisfied because part of your brain thinks, yes, they've succeeded. But again, it's this facade of progress, this facade of learning. And if we're not careful as parents, you are not cultivating a robust mindset the capacity in your child to get their head round the challenges that life will invariably throw at them but actually learning is our capacity to deal with failure and our capacity to fall flat on our face and get it wrong so this has got to start when when children are young and the younger it starts the better the harder you leave it the more difficult it becomes
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me today and spending the time to share your insights It's strange that as a parent I could feel guilty for trying to make my children's lives that little bit easier Like others, I made it my mission to keep them happy and successful But it seems so that our children can flourish they need grit, determination and a can-do approach they don't need for us to make the paths a little smoother or the goals a little closer. Will's five-stage how-to-learn roadmap rings so true and not just when I think about my daughter and her studies but I can recognise it in myself when I'm trying to learn a new skill or change a behaviour. And it's interesting to think that the underlying character attributes those five R's can underpin our ability and perhaps even our capacity to learn. I especially liked will's idea of the wag doll, starting from a place that can be improved to make it better seems so much more motivating than trying to strive uphill to an ideal as always thank you for listening to the study sessions podcast if you've learned something as a result please don't forget to rate and review us and there's another episode of the study sessions podcast next friday so please do subscribe and in the meantime Feel free to share this and previous episodes with your friends.